So for tonight's session, we're going to uh, talk a little bit about the corpse reflections. And then that will sort of, um, with other, a few other things we're going to do on reflections, on relationship to body, and that will sort of wrap up our investigation of this foundation of mindfulness. As I was saying to a few people today, <clears throat> this, uh, this discourse has a lot of pieces to it. And what we're doing is, um, it's almost like you got a, a hundred chocolates in the mail. You get to take a little bite of each one and then you can taste which ones work for you and then you can go back and eat those. <laughs> and that's actually how people practice. There's no sort of formulaic, like dragging a, a horse to water. You don't drag yourself through these practices. We're visiting them. But then you'll see, through the different temperaments in the room, different times of life, these practices become more interesting. And so rather than being overwhelmed, like you had to eat every chocolate in the box, you can just taste it and say, yeah, that was interesting, but not for me, not yet. And that's actually no statement about whether you should or shouldn't do, be, or should or shouldn't be in this tradition, that um, you all were drawn here, so there's something here. But just to kind of taste the formal training um, and then pick and choose the pieces that work for you. This is especially true when we come to the corpse reflection. It's a very powerful medicine and it's not for everybody at all times. Um, to, to rest into the corpse reflection, it has to be the right, you have to come in with the right heart for it to be medicine, for it to be liberating. It's very easy for this particular practice to um, overwhelm us with some grief or some despair or some shock. And it's not necessarily healthy just to shock your system. Um, but at the right time, that mindful reflection informs our relationship to the body to see that this body isn't eternal. And it's not just that the body dies, that life leaves the body, but there is an actual organic process between a living body and a body that's gone back into the earth. So when done the right way and having that relationship to these corpse reflections, you can feel maybe the tinge of some shock because it's usually not where we put our attention, but then it matures your relationship to what it means to actually have a body. I worked in a hospice ward for a, a year, or I volunteered in a hospice ward for a year. And as much training as I'd ever done, I just had a little bit of orientation to what it was like to walk into the actual hospital and to be in the ward where 20 people were terminally ill. And while being in that ward, you'd see some people were terminally ill for years on end. So how terminal was their illness? Some people actually recovered from a diagnosis of being terminally ill. And some people, their passage through that uh, hospital was actually very quick. 
And so walking in, there was a lot of learning and renegotiating just emotionally what it was like to be around the dying process. It was not comfortable, but over time, there was a growing and learning from other people who had grown comfortable so that they could cry and be present or sing to people who were in the last days of their lives. And then to find like, oh wait, this has been, this is a natural part of the cycle. It's not that people get it wrong and they die. The dying process is part of the cycle. So how do we, how do we like do the yoga of the heart in relationship to this aging and dying process? And then how does this body go back to being earth? It started as earth. It ended as earth. It goes back to earth. So there's a process. And you can mature your relationship to that process when the timing's right. When I was in uh, Burma, there was a monk there, an American monk that was not very um, psychologically sound. And the Burmese kept him in the monastery, but um, he probably should have been doing therapy. And he was doing this practice and boldly doing the practice, but it just was not liberating him. He was just getting very uh, dreary about life and he ended up um, hurting himself and going to the hospital for another reason. Then he asked me to bring him this, these meditation cards. And what they have in Burma, in Thailand, is they have this pretty common booklet of um, 10 pages of where they photograph somebody going through the decaying process. And that was part of his practice to be looking at this. So I got it, but to make sure it was actually the right thing, because I had to go all the way to the hospital and give it to him, I just looked at it to make sure and I was like, oh my God, that is really hard to look at. But I was sort of drawn into it. It's like, do people really look at this? And then it just sort of went like a forest fire through my mind. I was like, oh my God, that's gonna happen to me and my family and, and everybody. And it just caused a lot of kind of despair in me. And it took a while to kind of regain my composure. That was not good medicine at that time for me and just kind of toughing it out wouldn't have actually liberated me. It just brought on too much shock. Yet years later, <clears throat> um, I was just in my house out behind the Berkeley Hills. I woke up one morning, looked out on my uh, back patio, and I was just kind of groggy, waking up. And it looked like someone had um, been, had walked very sloppily by with a can of red paint because there were all these little blotches of what looked like red paint. And I realized it was blood. I was like, oh my God, there's blood on my patio. And I opened the door and I saw these little blood prints going up. I walked up and I saw a deer, a half-eaten deer. I realized a cougar had killed a deer in my backyard. And seeing this deer and that uh, part of it had been eaten, was intense. But it, at this point in my life, it actually was good medicine. There was a way I could actually hold it and be there and say, ah, this is life cycle. This is what it means to live outside of a city and to, to see up close and personal the predator-prey relationship and just seeing like this deer is alive, I'm alive today, one day I won't be. And then I was able to 
watch the deer over several days go through its process of returning back to the earth. And I, I tempered myself with it. And I knew what too much was, but it was actually a good waking up process to kind of say, just as this body of this deer is passing back into the earth, one day this body will also pass back into the earth. So that's, it's powerful medicine, but taken in, in appropriate doses, it aligns us, like going to a good chiropractor and you have some knot in your back, it's kind of throwing you off, but you just can't pop it. And then the chiropractor does that great move that pops that one thing you can't pop yourself and then you're in alignment. I feel like that medicine has put me in alignment, being in the hospice ward, put me in alignment with the full arc of the life cycle. After being in the hospice ward, I had a friend whose uh, dog was dying and grown very old and she loved it, but just it, they couldn't live forever. So I was able to sit with her and make the dog comfortable and kind of console her and to have some orientation to what it meant to be conscious next to a being that was uh, passing on as we all must one day. So this reflection is something we all need to visit and it's up to us to know whether it's, it's just not the right medicine, how much is the right medicine, how do we grow our capacity to uh, meet this truth, this natural process, uh, the aging and dying process. So much so that we have a whole retreat, the whole theme of the retreat next door is the aging and dying retreat. And so there are people really want to be supported in community while they open their heart so they don't have to do it alone. There's also other retreats where they do the 32 parts of the body as a practice and you get to know all 32 parts. And they also do some corpse reflection on that for those people where they they feel it's intuitively the right medicine for them. So it's a part of our tradition. You can tap into it as you see fit, but it's not something that um, is good for all people at all times. So that's why we'll just be kind of descriptive tonight of the process, but not necessarily uh, pull you all through it. It's the one chocolate in the box that I want to describe to you and let you have more choice over when you try that chocolate because the, it's a very densely packed flavor to get that personal with the dying process and the process where this body goes back into the earth. Do you want to say anything on that? I'll give you a moment to collect. Yeah, I was just really appreciating um, your wisdom temple around the right medicine at the right time. So much of our practice is around that. It's around learning what's skillful, right? And something brought you here 
to this retreat because there was something that perhaps you were wanting in your practice, something you know to open to. And sometimes we don't always have choice what we're introduced to. And particularly around, I think, death and dying, there isn't um, necessarily choice, right? A lot of the time it just happens. And sometimes it happens suddenly. And so we're, we come through the tunnel. We can come through the tunnel quite, the, the portal of that teaching and of that understanding um, unexpectedly. Um, that's what happened to me and that's what brought me into this practice. Mm-hmm. So I was actually in a car accident um, about 20 years ago and someone died in the car accident. So I was driving to work one minute and the next minute I'm standing in the middle of the highway and somebody's not alive anymore. And it turned my life upside down. And I had already experienced quite a bit of death at that point. For some reason that was just my karma. And it really brought me into this practice, you know. What's, what's really going on here? <laughs> How come this person went so quickly? How come I'm here? Just, you know, young with lots of questions. And so, um, suffering usually is what brings us, right, to these teachings. Not always, but mostly, because we're feeling some dissatisfaction or some kind of trauma or some kind of opening and we're seeking some ground. That's what I was doing. I really needed some ground beneath me. And so coming in, there was such a relief here that death was talked about so openly and encouraged that we contemplate death and dying and that we look at the causes and conditions and our relationship to death that felt so right for me and right medicine at that time. I needed a place to go where I could talk about what was going on and not have people deflect or not have people try to make me feel better or explain or excuse, but really just head on, let's look at what's going on here. So that the support that I got from the teachings and also teachers and so many teachers had been sitting in hospice and working with death and dying process. Um, I felt like, okay, I think I found my tribe. <laughs> that uh, that there's there's some um, some liberation possible here around this process for me. So um, so I encourage if that feels right for you, you know, to, to seek more support around that um, if, if, if that's where you're drawn. Um, because, I guess I say that because in this culture that can't be necessarily where we aim or where we open necessarily all the time. And um, so... Mm. And there um, have been very, very rich times in my practice when I've been quite ill and I was in chronic pain for about a year and a half some years ago um, where there was a sense that if I really opened to the pain and worked with it, then maybe the dying process 
would be a little more tolerable (laughs) or approachable or if my relationship with illness and pain now I could be awake in it or I could have some choice about how I relate to it then how would that shape my relationship in death if there's a lot of pain not knowing what might happen so I've um, used these practices very much to see what's possible if I prepared now for that time later. Hmm. And as Temple said, we're not going to take you through the course (laughs) reflection tonight, but if you're inspired to do that, um, it can... um, Well, we don't know what it might do, but (laughs) might be some um, richness there for your awakening. Um, I think that's all. We are going to see what uh, what you what comes up for you. We'd love to hear. We're just going to open up the group right now. Just open discussion. This is the last part of the first foundation that we went over today. All the different parts and the practices, and the last part is the corpse reflection. And so we're not going to do that, but we're introducing it, and so we're kind of rounding out the whole first foundation. And then tonight we'll do a little interactive practice. We'll do a little more journaling. We'll do some interactive practice. And then we'll do some more guided meditation around body. So now we just want to hear what comes up for you or have you done, has anyone done any practice around corpse reflection or anything that comes up right now around death or this part of the teachings? Yeah.
Queens for about 20 years. Mm. And at the, at the times that have, where I have been, had more pain and been in more, you know, in and out of the hospital and really at the, when it's been at the forefront of my experience. And also when, when for, for much of the time, um, others couldn't tell that I was sick, but at the mm -hmm. times that also it was quite evident that there was something, um, there was something that I was going through. It was this experience of learning from my body was more amplified. And I find that I struggle more. Um, now my, I'm more stable in my body, and I struggle more with learning from my body. I, I learned so much and have learned so much in the experience mm. of the pain and mm. the experience of being on that edge of death. And, and there's almost, I just feel sadness coming up as I am aware that as I am more stable, it's, not so in touch with mm. that yeah. yeah I think there's some people nodding in, in that we can relate probably people who've been in pain chronic pain and there's a lot of sensation happening right in pain it really gets our attention especially over time so that can be a very intimate relationship it can be a lot of aliveness in the pain, even the unpleasantness of it, but the strength of that relationship, right? That it so has our attention. Yeah, my first 10 day um, Vipassana retreat, I was in ex excruciating pain the whole time. And it was so, vi that the practice was so vivid and so alive. And even though I was so uncomfortable, I was so there. I was, you know, my attention was bright and alert. and. <laughs> And that relationship to the body, and then, oops, excuse me, that's also happened. Where then, after I had a surgery and the pain went away, some months later, I was like, "Wow, do, like, like, you know, the body pr practice and meditation really shifted because there wasn't that, you're right? There wasn't, there wasn't that same intensity of sensation." Mm. Mm. Did you want to? Who was, I don't, I missed it. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Japan, and my family's still there, so um, it's a very different uh, relationship with death. It's a, it's, a, it's a Buddhist country. But um, it is very different way to, um, to think and feel about it. When, when somebody passes, you actually go to the crematorium and the body goes through and the family getting emotional. Family um, is on the other end with chopsticks and you, uh, you pull out the bones. Mm. Yeah, take your time. It's not sad. It's actually not sad. Um, it's actually very moving. Um, and it is quite um, healing. And actually, um, getting there, um, celebratory, and 
thought that the blood was taken, he actually got into the counter. A little bodhisattva, and then that's the paper mache bodhisattva, and you know your temple, whatever um, you worship it. It goes into a niche with all the other bodhisattvas, so those are those are all people there, and they're very present. And, I'm not doing a very good job of trying to say it's actually not an unhappy thing. <laughs> it's very functional, but it's not unhappy. It's very um, present, and having those people still with you is um, a lovely thing. But um, the whole notion of dying is very much more um, present and uh, more immediate, and it's not scary. So it's a nice thing. I think the topic of death and dying is uh, larger than course reflection. And so this particular reflection has a particular um, purpose in maturing our relationship to having a body. But um, not all um, understandings of the fragility of life 
and the injustice when life is taken um, would be this wouldn't be the medicine for that. It has um, a role in the in the in our relationship to dying, and it isn't not necessarily individual. That again, we would do this internally, externally, and get a sense: oh, all bodies have their have the way back to becoming Earth. So I wouldn't try to necessarily um, take the, the importance of that meeting that um, injustice, rallying around it, getting a sense of the grief around it. Um, this probably wouldn't be the medicine to apply there. Um, and I'm not sure where in the classical teachings um, this comes out because that's that's so um, multi-layered. But I think that you know mindfulness in the middle of it, being able to see the the greed, the hatred, the delusion. And on an individual level, on a systemic level, operating and kind of churning along and not being challenged or it finally being challenged because people can see it, call it out, and then raise um, more awareness around it and then put some um, careful attention and then appropriate um, intervention uh, in the middle of it um, would be a way of, of... bringing the awakening heart into its sense that there is, as the heart wakes up, it cares. As it cares, it feels. And that feeling, that greater feeling and caring um, motivates us to actually improve the world. So it's not just a matter of only learning to rest in the way things are. We rest in the way things are so that we can learn and we can dispel confusion, delusion, misunderstanding. And then you can actually be uh, proactive. I came to uh, Buddhism through the, um, at the same time I was becoming a much more dedicated social and environmental activist. And um, I remember seeing the beautiful, dedicated activists, these two older um, Quaker women, their eyes were just so full of love and courage. And like, I don't know how I'm going to get this heart that beautiful because it's frustrated. And and I, if I try to look that peaceful, I get I'm not as effective. And um, this practice has been a big part of that awakening to be able to track my own mind and really clean out some of the confusion so that I can actually be a better uh, be a better service and a better activism. And in this particular sutta, it's, it's geared to kind of do a very particular um, awakening process down through where we um, cause some confusion. But it's possible that what's more important is not this foundation on the body, except that activists hopefully stay in their bodies because you burn out if you don't. But we'll see the other foundations, like the foundation tomorrow might be actually where there's more medicine and more wisdom in the other foundations. 
So um, that'll be interesting to see how that comes out. Um, it, it 
child feel that able, you know, to be with me, that that would be a huge gift. So I'm really grateful to this practice just for that. Well said. It's definitely the, my practice that allowed me to be conscious in the hospice ward. Yeah. And in other times of, not even just death and dying, but other times that I've been overwhelmed by some of the, the hardships of life. To have something to kind of, you know, to meet the experience as opposed to just being swept up by it. Do you want to say something? Okay.
so my toxicity levels were getting incredibly high. And so they brought me to the ICU and gave me dialysis and eventually got better and better. And it was what didn't know if my kidneys would wake up again, if they would regenerate again. And if they would, it would be partial or complete functioning. So of course, I'm incredibly grateful that they came back online and I'm back in wonderful health. Um, and yet it was just such an unexpected out of the blue. We're talking about, you know, um, people in their young age and, and in, in great health, no question that this would even be on the field. And then, you know, somehow the stars align in just the right way that it's your time to have that certain set of lessons. And so it's still pretty recent and it's, you know, in the first couple of months coming out of it, it was just, you know, coming out of the hospital, especially as I got in, in better and better health, they wouldn't quite let me go. And there's just this whole hospital reality, you know, people in a lot of suffering, a lot of pain, and that's where they live. And um, it's a whole world unto itself. So just you know, the tears of joy when they released me from the hospital and I could see colors again and I could, you know, eat something other than hospital food again and wear something other than hospital robes and just this kind of real gratitude for the miracle of life that we always know on one level and yet we really know when something like that happens. And also a sense of being very intentional about about being here and the calling to be here, the saying yes to being here, and what is most important, what I really want to do, um, all of that. And yet, even just as you know, a few months go by and a few months go by, it's so easy for that to fade back mm-hmm. into some strange experience that came out of nowhere and went back into nowhere. and. Um, you know, so it's interesting to have this topic come up and, and remember it and know that that experience happened for a reason and so sort of digesting it, but bringing it into presence again. You speak up a little bit. I'm sorry. I feel like everyone's really sharing all these really wonderful personal stories. Um, I'm I'm not going to share a personal story, um, but I did attend a day long last year on Death and Dying in, um, I think it was was either Redwood City or um, San Mateo, I think. Um, And they did do the corpse um, meditation. and it was very, I, was, I attended with a friend who, her father had gone through years of uh, medical complications um, and then died suddenly of lupus. Um, so she had wanted to attend this and I went with her. Um, it's very, um, the meditation, because I read through it, it's very um, graphic and, uh, and visceral, not unlike the, the 32 parts that we were in. 
Um, and one of the things that the instructor said, I mean, just, I mean, for, I guess what I'm trying to say is that people who are interested in doing this practice, they're available on Zonid, and you could do this practice at, at some meditation centers in, in the Bay Area. Um, but one of the things that she brought up is that it is a very, um, in a way, it's also a very culturally specific um, practice mm -hmm. because the description is historically what um, happened with with the dead in, um, uh, in India. So the, if you read through it, there's the, like the birds, even the Karen, mm -hmm. all of that. And it's a very, um, I think, you know, culturally specific. Um, anyway, so I just remember it being very, very graphic. It wasn't it wasn't my chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it tastes a little, but it wasn't my chocolate. Um, but, you know, I just, for those who are interested in that practice, it's And to, to say again that um, if, you, if you look at all the Buddha talked about, it, it, uh, the recordings of all the discourses over 40 years, there's so many different reflections and so many different things that he taught to different people at different times. And um, this particular practice was part of what he taught those people when he was talking about uh, mindfulness. And it does have this cultural um, overlay to it because often people didn't um, have the, the money or the firewood to burn a body they didn't bury bodies in many places. And so it was just a place where you would lay the body outside of the town and let the, the body go back to the earth the way the animals would first have at the body. So it, 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 the, there's a kind of a graphic nature to it, um, to the description of this particular practice. Do a little stretch break in a moment here. I think just the last thing that, um, as we sort of opened this up into a bigger topic, and people really got to share share more personal stories, and um, you know, the opportunity with the with the graphic meditation, with that reflection, um, is to, in a way, do what. We, we wouldn't normally do or we wouldn't, our mind wouldn't incline towards, which is, which is really looking at and, and sensing and feeling and contemplating that this will die and decay and the actual d decaying process opens up, right, this space between what we've been talking about, which is how we get quite identified with our body, how we get quite married, right, to take this as me, and that it's permanent, and it's solid, and this is all, the whole story here. And throughout the day, we've been breaking that down, opening that up, as we look at the whole foundation of contemplation of the body. And so it, in a way, I think the Buddha was, you know, really... Um, starkly in a way, but quite directly pointing at the, the truth, 
of impermanence, the truth of the rising and then the passing, passing, passing away. And that's not easy to necessarily, you know, enter as a meditation to really, because, because we're so close and so connected to our bodies as our sense of self. So to see it like a tree that's rotting in the forest, that our body also rots and decays and dies, you know, can be quite confronting. And it also is the truth of things. And so we want to just, we're going to do a little bit more tonight around our relationship to our bodies. Right? How... How do we view our bodies? What's our attitude, our beliefs about our bodies? In service of this investigation, in service of this getting to know who we take ourselves to be or how, how we get identified, and, and for you to do that personally. So we'll take a break and then we'll come back and we'll do a couple exercises to um, open that up and have some discussion around that um, in, this, in this way that we're diving more deeply into first foundation today. Sound good? Yeah, thank you for all your rich sharing. It's been great to hear from more people in the circle. Hopefully as the days to come, we'll hear from more of you. Um, And let's take a 10-minute stretch break. We'll bang the clackers. Is there actually someone who'd be... Well, we'll do it because we've got the clocks. So We'll bang the clackers in a couple minutes. Sorry. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.